Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. The city of Belleville, Illinois, was founded nearly 210 years ago. To this day, it remains the most populous city in the Metro East. And it comes as no surprise that Belleville and the people who've lived there have played a large role in the state's history. One former Belleville resident is Gustav Karner, a German immigrant who fled from his homeland in 1833. In the United States, he became an attorney, journalist, judge, politician, and diplomat. He was known for his anti-slavery views, and he was a confidant of President Abraham Lincoln. Now, there are renewed efforts to restore the Belleville House where Kerner lived. And that's the topic for today's show, the history and the home of Gustav Kerner. Here's producer Alex Hoyer. In downtown Belleville, a few blocks southeast of the square and its signature fountain is a two-story house. It's at the intersection of Aben Street and Muscuta Avenue and sits along a brick road. Outside of the home are two signs. One reads, Kerner House, circa 1854, restoration underway. The other is a plaque that notes that the home is on the National Register of Historic Places, a designation the house achieved in the early 2000s. The house is a tall, two-story building in the Greek Revival style. It's an off-white color, and on the front of the building, there are five windows. The shutters are dark green. And there's the wooden door. A brick sidewalk leads up to it. Jack Lachine and Molly McKenzie are the longtime co-chairs of the Gustav Kerner House Restoration Committee. They met me at the house, and I had a chance to talk with them inside in the back parlor. Jack Lachine, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for coming by the Gustav Kerner House. And Molly McKenzie, it's nice to meet you as well. Well, thank you. You're welcome. A house was initially built here in 1849. It was rebuilt in 1854 after a fire. And here we are sitting in what used to be the back parlor of Gustav Kerner's home. And I want to get into the history of the house and the restoration efforts in a bit. But I first want to talk about who Gustav Kerner was. Gustav Kerner was born in Germany in 1809, and he came to the United States when he was in his mid-20s. Jack, why did Gustav Kerner leave Germany? He was a rebel, and uh, Germany was fractured at that time into small states, and Kerner and others uh, who attended university joined a group called the Birchenschaft, and it was a student group that uh, aimed at creating a new Germany. So these uh, crazy college kids uh, decide to overthrow the government in various cities, and they try to coordinate their efforts, but the police get wind of it. So as they, as Kerner and others are trying to take the police station in his hometown of Frankfurt, uh, the police show up and uh, there are shots fired. Kerner gets wounded in the arm Uh, he has to flee. He escapes town dressed as a woman in a carriage driven by his uh, friend Theodore Engelman. 
He then goes to Switzerland and eventually to France to come to America. But he was an activist at an early age and just wanted to make his mark. Why did he decide to leave instead of fight for what he wanted Germany to become? There was a crackdown and uh, it was called the Schwartz Book, the Black Book. His name was entered on it, meaning he would be hunted by the police for this activity, this illegal activity to try to overthrow the city government. So he had to flee. Otherwise, he would have been uh, put in prison with others who were captured. Molly, what do you find most remarkable about Kerner's story uh, before he came to the United States? Well, we think of him as a rebel, but he truly was a freedom fighter in Germany and trying to organize the smaller German states into a Republican government. So um, uh, in scholars in Germany today uh, look at Kerner as a freedom fighter. One of the things that Gustav Kerner is known for, as I mentioned, was his anti-slavery views. And this is at a time when people were still enslaved in Illinois. Uh, this is in the 1830s uh, when he arrived. Jack, what was Kerner doing in the years leading up to the Civil War? We're, we're talking about nearly three decades before the Civil War started, but what was Kerner doing here? As his party, uh, which is the Engelmann family, and they uh, established themselves in 1833 just outside Shiloh, they buy a farm there. Kerner is uh, among this group. He is not a farmer. Uh, he makes that clear. He wants to get into either journalism or he is a lawyer, but he's trying to find what he's going to do here in this country. So uh, he proceeds and becomes a lawyer and becomes involved in, in politics. But those first years out on the farm, the Engelman farm, um, were quite difficult for him. He uh, decides to walk to Jefferson City, Missouri, he and a friend, to uh, see what the situation is in Missouri. Of course, they are, Kerner is anti-slavery. Missouri allows slavery. So he wants to see what the conditions are there. And a man named Godfrey Duden had written a book describing Missouri as basically a, a land of milk and honey. Kerner didn't believe that, and he is trying to persuade immigrants to come to Illinois because of its uh, non-slave status. So they walk all the way out there, they walk all the way back, and Kerner writes uh, a response to Duden, basically saying, uh, Things are not so great in Missouri. You would find life better here in Illinois, a free state. So he's trying to influence immigrants to come here, and they do come in the following years. So Gustav Kerner goes to Jefferson City. He doesn't like Missouri as much as he likes Illinois. He has quite a remarkable couple of decades leading up to the Civil War, in which he was elected to the Illinois House of Representatives in 1842. He was a judge on the Illinois Supreme Court and became lieutenant governor from 1853 to 1857. Jack, how did he achieve all of these things? 
He had a superior education compared to frontier lawyers who I think the case on them is argued from an emotional point of view to sway a jury or a judge, where Kerner had a, uh, a very fine German university legal education. Little anecdote we tell is that when it was time for him to pass his uh, courses in law, he was grilled by four professors for four hours in Latin. When he came to Illinois <laughs> to get his license, he goes to Vandalia. There's two judges who are uh, staying above a tavern. Uh, Kerner and some others who were applying to be in the bar go to this room. One judge is sick. He's kind of laying on the bed. And after about a half hour, they go, okay, yeah, you guys are, are good. They go downstairs and have a, a drink, and Kerner travels the 60 miles back on, on uh, horseback. What was the practice of law like back then? Well, I think a lot of it was collecting debt, uh, property disputes, of course, divorce and others, but it was, and criminal law, which Kerner also practiced. But one of the things that uh, he takes advantage of on his way up is a um, man, James Shields, who is a very interesting character in himself. Shields is also very active. He's, uh, Kerner at one time said he held more government jobs than any man he ever knew. But uh, Shields gets on the Illinois Supreme Court. After a year or two, he has enough and he decides he would resign, but he gets Kerner to uh, be his replacement. The legislature approved that. Kerner had been a member of the legislature, so they knew him. So it's politics, but it's also being on the right side of issues. He fought for the rights of immigrants. He did some representation of enslaved people or indentured people who were trying to establish their freedom or challenge their indenture. Uh, he did that without charging them. So he and uh, Lyman Trumbull and others are, are active in this fight before the Civil War to uh, help poor black people and uh, at the same time be a part of what's happening in the world of politics. Molly. I also, I think it's important to um, point out that Illinois was settled from the south to the north. So the concentration of the population and the politics and the wealth and power are coming from the south to the north. So the first capital is at Kaskaskia, the second capital is at Vandalia, and the third, of course, Springfield. So, um, you know, things are moving through this area first, and a lot of the power structure is coming from southern Illinois. So Gustav Kerner is a politician, of course. Uh, he becomes lieutenant governor, and that's a that's a high that's a high position in the state. Uh, why was he interested in making the jump from attorney to politician? There's some crossover in picking up legal clients. I don't think that was his main idea, but he wanted to be to play a role, and. Uh, Belleville enjoyed a golden period uh, beginning, we had 
Some of the earliest governors were right here in town. John Reynolds, uh, Ninian Edwards, uh, the man that lawyer that Kerner uh, associated with as a lawyer, Adam Snyder, was a candidate for governor um, in the late, uh, in the 1830s. So uh, there was a lot of politics. People are moving up from Kaskaskia, Cahokia. The Southerners, as Molly mentioned, are coming up uh, through the river system. And uh, things are, are moving kind of fast. So Belleville, at that time, played an important role in state politics. Chicago later develops, but it, uh, in the early days, it's a small village. And then there's Springfield, um, Galena, some other towns. But Belleville played a role, and to be here was to be part of the action. That's Jack Lachine, who, along with Molly McKenzie, is a longtime co-chair of the Gustav Kerner House Restoration Committee. They're talking with producer Alex Hoyer on location in the house where Kerner lived in Belleville. It's a house that's considered the most historically important home in Belleville, Illinois, a city more than two centuries old. We'll have more of that conversation in just a moment, including how Kerner met Abraham Lincoln, and later we'll detail the renewed efforts to restore the home. Let's return to producer Alex Hoyer's conversation with Jack Lachine and Molly McKenzie, the co-chairs of the Gustav Kerner House Restoration Committee in Belleville. Kerner was a German immigrant who fled his homeland in 1833. In Illinois, he became an attorney, served on the Illinois Supreme Court, and was lieutenant governor. He later served during the Civil War and became a diplomat. There are renewed efforts to restore the home where he lived in Belleville, a house on the National Register of Historic Places built in 1854. One of the eye-catching facts about Gustav Kerner is his association with Abraham Lincoln, and particularly his role in the 1860 presidential campaign. Uh, Gustav Kerner is described as a confidant of Lincoln. He would eventually be a pallbearer in his funeral. Uh, Jack, how did Gustav Kerner and Abraham Lincoln meet? Kerner's memoirs uh, recall in the campaign of 1840 when Abraham Lincoln was a Whig and campaigning for uh, Tippecanoe and Tyler II. Uh, Lincoln appears at the courthouse on the public square to speak. Kerner's law office is right across the square in the Northwest Quadrant, and he's interested in politics. So he goes over and he wants to hear this man. And uh, typical Kerner, he gives a description that he had no roseate hue about his face and that he seemed uh, kind of somber and uh, not morose, but just uh, didn't seem to have much energy until he started talking. And then his voice elevated and his arms uh, were used in uh, his speech making. So early on, he, he has a picture in his mind of Lincoln. Later, when um, Kerner is on the Illinois Supreme Court, uh, Lincoln is in Springfield, he's arguing cases, and Kerner at that time says all the judges began to appreciate his droll 
sense of humor in arguing cases, and he, uh, he appreciates Lincoln for his ability to, to be a lawyer, but he also knows that he has a real grasp of politics and, and how you get elected. So they proceed from there. Uh, they later uh, are co-counsels on some railroad cases. I think Lincoln was not as well versed in some of the complications of that type of law. So he asked Kerner, who had a superior education to Lincoln, for help. And they worked on a few cases. Then in 1855, uh, this party emerges, the Republican Party, after the passage of the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which would have allowed slavery to expand into territories. And both Lincoln and Kerner of the opinion, we can't, we can't have this. Uh, we can't attack slavery through the Constitution, there's no mention of it, but we can't allow the expansion of it. So that is the, the boiling point where they both meet and decide we have to form another party, we have to uh, be a voice of those who will not allow the expansion of slavery. And so what did Gustav Korner actively do during that campaign of 1860? He spoke uh, all the time. Uh, and this was, you know, a sacrifice for a guy who has to schedule his cases. He has to be in court at certain times. So to be out on the campaign trail, going sometimes even to Indiana or Northern Illinois. It wasn't just in this area, but he's uh, very active supporting um, Lincoln. He speaks in German to one crowd. Uh, then he may speak in English to later crowds. And these rallies would go on for hours and there would be a, a list of speakers. So he's out there spending his own money to support his candidate and uh, it proves he, his dedication to the cause. Spoiler, Abraham Lincoln wins the presidential election. Uh, the Civil War begins in 1861, and uh, Gustav Kerner, he receives an appointment. What does uh, Gustav Kerner do during the Civil War? He is assigned as an aide to uh, General John Fremont, whose uh, base is in St. Louis, but then they go out to western Missouri and engage in, in some battles. Fremont was criticized for being a pretty free spender and listened to some bad advice from some people as to what to do. So Kerner, uh, I think, was of two minds at that point that he wanted to be involved, but it seemed Fremont was... Uh, not the right person to be attached to. Kerner has a problem with his eyes at that time after several months out there, and he returns because of his health, and uh, that's pretty much the end of his military involvement. Although he does organize a German unit, the Kerner unit, 43rd Illinois, that uh, the Germans wanted to show their patriotism, and Kerner wanted there to be such a unit, and uh, he uh, asked Lincoln, can you accept this? And Lincoln, and I think this is a, one of uh, my favorite responses, he writes back, well, we just don't really, this is at the beginning of the war, April, May, he said, we really don't know who's going to respond. He said, we could have everybody respond that we've uh, issued a call to, or none. 
And at this moment, I can't tell you whether we need you or not. Uh, you know, please understand my embarrassment. Well, Kerner waits a couple more months and uh, the Illinois governor authorizes formation of the 43rd Illinois. Molly, what would you like to add to this? Well, that Kerner uh, succeeded in getting the 1860 uh, Republican Convention uh, located in Chicago, which was home turf for Kerner and uh, Lincoln, and that he was the floor manager, if you will, so to speak, uh, on the uh, at the convention in Chicago. And in fact, there's a telegram that Kerner sends to Lincoln during the convention, and Kerner simply says to Lincoln in this telegram, don't come here, meaning I'm handling it and you don't need to come here. I'm talking with Molly McKenzie and Jack Lachine. They are co-chairs of the Gustav Kerner House Committee. I want to touch on the latter half of Gustav Kerner's life a little bit later on, but let's turn to the house where we're sitting now. Uh, the first version of this house burned down just a few years after it was built, and it was built in 1849, rebuilt in 1854. Molly, what was the house like after it was rebuilt from the fire in 1854? It was built in a very popular style in America at the time, the Greek Revival style. Um, there's a side hall on the uh, at the entryway, and the house, main block of the house is two rooms deep, or double pile, as it's referred to. Um, there's a back service wing uh, where all of the domestic chores uh, took place. The kitchen, the uh, prep room, food prep rooms, and doors going out into the backyard where a number of animals were kept, a milk cow and chickens and that sort of thing. Uh, for the family sustenance. The house rebuilt in 1854. At this time, Kerner was lieutenant governor of Illinois. Uh, is it fair to say that he was someone of means and that this would have been a, a very nice house at the time? Well, I think um, it was a nice home, um, but yet a modest home. Uh, Kerner was a very practical man and he was raising a family. Uh, as Jack mentioned earlier, he was uh, politicking on the side and taking him away from his work as uh, an attorney and uh, a judge. So um, he was very mindful of his resources, let's say, but um, indeed a very practical man. We've been talking all this time about Gustav Kerner's official life that he was lieutenant governor, uh, his association with Abraham Lincoln. Uh, what was his home life like? His, his wife, uh, her name was Sophia. Um, and I know that they had several kids, but what do we know, Jack, about what living in this house might have been like? Well, as you can see, of course, the audience can't. It's, um, Kerner was not one for pretense or ostentation. He, uh, in fact, uh, took some embarrassment as a politician uh, if he was considered to be ambitious. That In those days, you didn't reveal your, your ambitions. You managed them through your friends. So he's a, a bit of a, 
uh, a different person in that respect. Uh, and his house, as I say, d does not have a lot of um, filigree or doodads or ornamentation. But uh, as far as living here, they early on had servants and uh, at one point two servants who stayed at the rear of the building in a small bedroom on the first and second floors. And eventually one of the servants, become, they become so fond of that they adopt her and she is mentioned in the will as receiving uh, some money. Uh, he, at one point, as far as living here, um, his cow wanders off in the late 1830s and he places an ad in the paper describing the cow and this is kind of common. Animals are roaming around. There are no local ordinances at that time. So uh, he finds himself trying to get his milk cow back because of his, he needs it for his children. So uh, it would have been a busy corner. It would have been on the outskirts of, of town at that time, uh, near downtown, but still uh, almost in the country. What can you tell me about Gustav Kerner's wife, Sophia? When they leave uh, La Havre, France, Kerner has just uh, uh, fled Germany because of his student activities as a rebel, and he decides to join the Theodore Engelmann party. They're about ready to take off for America. Sophie is uh, with the family, Sophie Engelmann. So they, they were familiar with each other because Kerner's best friend was Theodore Engelmann, so he was around Sophie, but on the trip coming across the ocean, uh, I think that's the beginning of their, their romance. Um, then, of course, they get here and they live out on the farm. Sophie describes that period as very hard work, a lot of real drudgery. Uh, you know, they have to grow things. They have to, they're on their own uh, in a new land. She was a very faithful companion. She later becomes involved in establishing the kindergarten in Belleville for uh, young people. This is a 1876-ish era. Uh, she's, she's known for that. She's also known for having a very large floral garden on the east side of the home uh, that took up much of the yard. Molly, anything you want to add? Kerner's, uh, of Kerner's children, uh, two of his sons died before adulthood, and one, in fact, was at West Point, uh, passed away from uh, some fever. I'm not sure that they know what happened to him. And he was buried at West Point. So when Kerner becomes ambassador to Spain, they are traveling from Belleville to Spain, and they go by and through West Point, to visit the grave of their son. So that's kind of a sad tale, but um, their son was, was buried and uh, they had no closure until they visited many, many years later. That's Molly McKenzie, who along with Jack Lachine is a longtime co-chair of the Gustav Kerner House Restoration Committee in Belleville. They're talking with producer Alex Hoyer on location in the back parlor of Kerner's home. When we return, we'll talk about renewed efforts to restore the house in Belleville. 
built in 1854 and on the National Register of Historic Places, it's been deemed the most historically significant home in the Metro East City. Let's continue with producer Alex Hoyer's conversation on location with Molly McKenzie, who, along with Jack Lachine, is a longtime co-chair of the Gustav Kerner House Restoration Committee. Gustav Kerner dies in 1896. He lives a long life. Jack, what happened with Gustav Kerner's life after the Civil War? He, he still has... Uh, some four decades of living uh, after after the Civil War, but what what does he primarily do over that time? He's still very active, <clears throat> very concerned. Uh, his Republican Party begins to change, and uh, in 1872, a group called the Liberal Republican Party emerges to uh, challenge General Grant's presidency and some of the controversies connected with that. So they form a separate party. There are some Democrats who join because they disagree with Grant as well. The party does not do well, uh, but he stays active. He starts out uh, as a Democrat. He becomes a Republican. After the Civil War, when this, uh, the Grant administration creates these issues, he goes, into the liberal Republican Party, and then finally goes back to being a Democrat. And the short interpretation of that is that he's a man of principle, and although he's uh, tied to a political party, he's um, not averse to challenging what he has done and creating a new path forward. He's independent and committed. What do we know about what happened to this home in the 20th century? After uh, Kerner's death, uh, there's, I believe, maybe a year lapse or so. But then a, um, a wealthy attorney, William Winkleman, buys the home, and he buys the property behind it as well, which at one time was owned by Gustav Kerner's son, Gustav. That's Gustav A. So it early becomes uh, a, a two-family. Uh, it has addresses as 200 and 200A, Abend. Uh, so it was rented upstairs and down. Then later, um, a lady buys it, and she also rents out the upstairs. So it was a two-family for a long time, and then in 1985 becomes cut up into four apartments, and in 2000, uh, it's put on the market for sale, and that's when the city was able to buy it. What kinds of changes, Molly, did the house undergo during that time? Because that's, that's quite a bit of conversion. Well, the conversion really only took place on the interior. There's not been very many changes to the exterior other than enclosing um, a corner of the um, the exterior in order to accommodate bathrooms and modern plumbing. Um, there were alterations to the side porch, exterior side porch, but mainly it was the interior that was um, altered in creating 
four small apartments. And when I say small, there were two room apartments. There were two apartments downstairs and two upstairs, which uh, when the city acquired the building in uh, 2000, 2001, uh, we, as a team of volunteers, deconstructed all of those apartments. So volunteers uh, removed all the modern amenities uh, the bathrooms, the cabinets, the kitchens, the shag carpet, uh, everything four times. Four water heaters, four bathrooms, four uh, kitchens, uh, etc. And it was all done by volunteer labor. So you're telling me that Gustav Kroner did not have shag carpeting when, when he lived here? Uh, that is correct. <laughs> Why did the city acquire the property? There was a grant uh, that was available uh, from the state to seek out and purchase the most significant historic building in Belleville. And uh, quite a lot of research was done early on, and it was determined that the Kerner House was Belleville's most significant building that needed to be preserved. This is a big question, but what is the value in preserving this building? That's a very large question. Um, History matters because it is our foundation, it is our um, identity, um, it is our touchstone, it is the heart of every community. Um, I think there's a lot of avenues to explore in that question, but um, basically it's our foundation. History and historic buildings um, give us relevance today. Jack, you seem to have an encyclopedic knowledge of Gustav Kerner and, and his life and the 19th and 20th centuries. For you, why is it important to uh, keep this house here to restore this home? Well, uh, Kerner's life here is 60% of the uh, 1800s. He gets here uh, 1833 and dies of uh, 1896. He is a big part of our local story, the growth of Belleville into a, a German immigrant community. It becomes uh, 75, 80% German by around the 1900s. Some of that uh, can be credited to uh, Kerner and his efforts to uh, send information back and write columns that appeared in, in German publications. So. He plays that part, but I think more than that, it's, uh, he's a man of character. And... Uh, I can see you're getting emotional. He touches me. He really does. So, it's his dedication to uh, doing the right thing, being a leader, I think it, he is the prototype of the type of citizen you want. And he spends his life uh, energetically pursuing his goals. He's the statesman for the city of Belleville in this period. He's important because of the German immigrants he influenced, the role he plays in history in uh, fighting slavery, his relationship with Lincoln, all these add up to 
a great story. If I could add, um, I think Kerner was a man of conviction, and uh, there's a quote that we often use in some of our materials, printed materials, uh, from Kerner, and he said, do right and fear no one. When it comes to restoring this home, it's, it's not as easy as maintaining a yard, even putting on a new roof or securing the foundation. There is a lot that goes into restoring a home. It costs a lot of money. Molly, what has gone into restoring this home? We have uh, secured the exterior envelope. Uh, the foundation is uh, stable. Uh, we have um, remediated lead paint. We've tuck pointed, put a roof on, built chimneys. So uh, the exterior envelope is pretty much complete with the exception of the porch, which is our uh, next um, item on our agenda. The um, restoration of a building that is owned by a municipality, uh, that's owned by a government entity, is somewhat held to a higher standard. Um, because it's a National Register property, we have to um, have all of our plans and uh, intentions reviewed by Belleville's Historic Preservation Commission, and then also uh, at the state level by the State Historic Architect with the Historic Preservation Agency. So. Um, we have a lot of people looking at what we're doing and reviewing things to make sure that it's being done correctly. Um, your average homeowner uh, doesn't have to maintain the standards of disposal of asbestos. Uh, if we disturb the ground, we have to have an archeologist present. So uh, certain things like that, for example, um, prove that we have to maintain a higher standard in our uh, approach to the restoration. Molly, what is your dream for what this space becomes? We're looking uh, for it to become a public use area. Um, we don't intend for it to be a house museum uh, furnished with pieces that um, we probably could never find that belonged to Gustav Kerner. So that kind of eliminates um, the prospect of it being a house museum. But um, we certainly can use the space for telling Gustav Kerner's story of his life and his career, and then making it available to the community for events, social events, um, receptions, and that sort of thing. What about you, Jack? What's, what's your dream for this space? Well, it is to interpret Kerner's career, his impact on history. Uh, that's what we have here. We have 200 years of history. Some people don't appreciate that, and it's a kind of a constant uh, position to keep making that this is important, that we maintain these neighborhoods, that we maintain a historic property, and especially um, one such as Gustav Kerner, who was a very prominent figure in the 1800s, and we, we feel compelled to tell that story. We're sitting here in the back parlor, uh, which is, no surprise, immediately behind the front parlor. 
And I can very much see this as a space that would host a cocktail reception, maybe host a meeting. There's something about being in a place that is old, that is uh, just surrounded by history that, that is charming, but is also meaningful. Molly, what do you see? What's a kind of specific event that you see happening here? Well, with the restoration on this level, um, the first floor, uh, we will have a small kitchenette area uh, for um, serving food for, as you mentioned, a cocktail party. Uh, we plan to have an outdoor uh, patio area where uh, an event could spill outside into a um, nicely landscaped and lit ambiance uh, area. Uh, there will be uh, restroom facilities. So all of the creature comforts will be taken care of as well. But um, we hope to have, you know, the, uh, the, the look and the feel of these parlors restored to how Gustav and Sophie uh, saw them so that, you know, if they walked in today, they would recognize these spaces. And through our studies, we know the paints and the uh, flooring materials and the wallpapers, and we'll be able to do that and have these nicely appointed rooms where the community can use them for social events and uh, meetings and such. To restore this home, it's going to cost a lot of money. And I know estimates on how much things cost changes, but what do you estimate at this moment, how much money would it take to get to what you're talking about? We're probably looking at $500,000. And I know that's shocking to some people, but uh, if you're aware of the cost of renovations today, of the cost of construction and workmen and materials and supply chains, um, you'll understand that you know when it comes down to heating and cooling and plumbing and uh, you know uh, interior finishes, um, that's probably a very realistic estimate. And we said in the beginning of this conversation that there are renewed efforts to restore the home. And one of the new things about what you're trying to do is uh, the city of Belleville is helping with identifying applying for and managing grants. Uh, how excited are you about that? Jack? Well, it's the way forward. Uh, our experience in trying to do trivia nights uh, and other events, maybe you can uh, make three to $5,000 an event. But when you're looking at a half million dollar potential budget, you can see that that's going to take about 100 events. So uh, we are convinced, and I believe the city is as well, that large amounts will move this forward. And that, that is grant writing. There is money available. There are wealthy people who will give money. They want to know that it's a good cause. And that's where the skill of a grant writer comes in to establish the credibility of your project. and. Uh, we are concerned after 20-some years that there, we want to see the end of this, and when it comes time for us to pass this project to someone else, we want it to be on a secure footing so that whatever work remains 
can proceed, but getting grants is the answer. And the city of Belleville, we mentioned, acquired the property in the early 2000s. Uh, they've, they've helped maintain it. And really, since the city of Belleville owns the property, uh, certainly they bear some responsibility, if, if not the lion's share of responsibility for restoring the home. Molly? Well, we look at it as a partnership. And um, they have resources that they can lend to us, a grant writer uh, uh, who's on the staff with the city and has been helpful in many ways in the past, and we're going to um, engage him even further. Jack Lachine and Molly McKenzie, thank you so much to each of you for joining me today. Well, thank you. We appreciate your interest. Thank you for coming by to see us. Molly McKenzie and Jack Lachine are the longtime co-chairs of the Gustav Kerner House Restoration Committee. They spoke with producer Alex Hoyer in the back parlor of Kerner's home in Belleville. The house, built in 1854, is on the National Register of Historic Places, and there are now renewed efforts to restore the home. Kerner was a German immigrant who fled his homeland in 1833. In Illinois, he became an attorney, served on the Illinois Supreme Court, and was lieutenant governor. He later served during the Civil War and became a diplomat. He was also a confidant of President Abraham Lincoln. This episode was produced, recorded, and edited by Alex Hoyer. This podcast was mixed and edited by Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.